Now we do it this way. It's recording. Okay. Okay, good evening, guys. Uh, not to sound like Chick-fil-A, but it is my pleasure to be with you tonight. In all seriousness, it is truly my pleasure and joy to open God's Word together with you. Can I get a chicken sandwich? <laughs> not tonight. Um, I think you're going to get a lot more than a chicken sandwich, though, hopefully. Um, Please open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, as we have been in, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to conclude Matthew chapter 8 this evening. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 28 to 34. 28 to 34 is our text this evening. So have your Bibles ready. We're going to read that in just a moment. But first off, the top 10 things that people are most afraid of. You want to hear what the updated list is from Google? Here's the updated list. As always, public speaking, heights, going to the dentist, snakes, flying, spiders, being enclosed in a small space, claustrophobia, Mice, dogs, thunder, and lightning. That's the top 10 things that people are most afraid of. And if we're honest together tonight, the list can go on and on for us, weak human beings, if we really think about it. We could go on to things like darkness, perhaps, or disease, or of course, ultimately, death. What about demons? What about demons? You afraid of demons? Have you thought about them lately? Now, my purpose tonight is not to frighten you or to haunt your dreams when you go to sleep this evening. That's not my desire. But it is for you to understand that demons are real. But also to understand tonight that Jesus is real and he's infinitely more powerful. So therefore, my theme tonight is how demons are no match for the all-powerful and merciful Son of God. And if I were to give this message a title, it would be something like The Power and Pity of Jesus. The Power and Pity of Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but... Matthew chapter 8 is a gem-packed chapter, and it's full of the power and miracles and compassion of the Son of God. It's an explosive chapter, as you should have probably observed over the past several weeks as you guys have been in this on Wednesday nights. And as we see in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has spent a very, very long day in Capernaum, touching and cleansing lepers after healing Peter's mother-in-law as well. And he's been casting out many demons and healing many who were sick. And after also calming the violent raging storm as he and his disciples were crossing the Galilean Sea, we now come to verse 28 of our text tonight, where Matthew gives to us yet another astonishing demonstration of Jesus's power. Let's read that together. Matthew chapter 8 verses 28 to 34. 
When he came to the other side into the demon, when he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him saying, if you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. And they came out and went into the swine and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. So, are demons real? Yes. According to God's word this evening and multiple texts, we see that demons are supernatural and invisible to the human eye. It's been said many times before, if you could see the fourth dimension right now, you'd be scared out of your skin to see and to know that there are demons all across the world doing their work. So yes, first of all, we have to come to grips with the fact that they are real. And this is evidenced by the fact that demons are also known in scripture as unclean spirits, deceiving spirits, unholy fallen angels. These demons are mentioned over 100 times in the Old and New Testament scriptures. Now, before we get into our text, just briefly, a couple facts about demons. Okay? A couple facts. Number one, they are created beings. They are created beings. They are Satan's angels. They do and love to do Satan's will. They were once holy, but one third of them, of the multitude, and we don't know how many there are, but according to scripture, it seems like it's uncountable almost. But one third of them fell from heaven because they joined Lucifer in his rebellion and in his pride against God. I want to be like the Most High God. You will not rule over me. I will be worshipped. And we see that in Revelation 12, 9. We see it in Isaiah 14. And we see it in Ezekiel 28. The history of how Lucifer fell. The king of the demons, you could say. So, number one, they are created beings. Number two, they are smart and they can show emotion, and they shudder at just the thought of Jesus Christ. And they fear what he may and will do to them. James chapter 2, verse 19. Listen, the demons believe, they know the one true and living God and the personal work of Jesus Christ. But you know what the difference is between them and us? They actually tremble. They shudder. They can't stand Jesus Christ. But they are smart. And they you think you know the scriptures? 
they know them far better than you, than, than you. You think you know God? That is great. They know him far better than you and I. Number three, they are mobile and they are fast and they are sneaky. And we see this in 1 Peter 5, 8, and we see it in Job chapter 1. They come and they go. We see how Satan roams about the earth to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, but you are to stand firm in your faith against him. Number four, they can make a temporal home inside of humans. And as we'll see even in this text tonight, animals as well. We see this in the Gospels many times, and we see this in the book of Acts as well. Number five, God holds them responsible for their evil deeds. They are being judged now, and they will be judged at the end of time. 2 Peter 2.4, Jude 6, Matthew 25-41, and Revelation 20, verse 10. Number six, they are deceiving spirits, spirit beings who spread lies about Jesus Christ, and they often do this through false teachers. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Number seven, just two more. Don't worry, we'll stop in two more. They often appear as, listen, <laughs> not as the devil with horns sticking out of his head, with a pitchfork and a red face. That is not how they appear. How do they appear? Angels of light. As angels of light. Beautiful, attractive, welcoming, deceptive, disguised as messengers of truth, like, like the serpent in the garden to Eve, deceiving, disguised, just like a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. The prince of darkness he is. Satan holds unbelievers captive to believe his lies because it's so attractive to the unbelieving world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, their eyes are blinded. And last Last point, number eight, they have a will. And their will, their strongest will is, is that they hate Jesus Christ and they are strong and violent, destructive creatures, even as we'll see in our passage tonight. Now, before we get into our text, I just want to say right now, sorry to our, our small group leaders tonight for the questions that are, will arise from this and that are arising right now in your hearts and minds. And guys, I'm sorry if I don't get your hands. I, these questions, if you have these questions and stuff, I want you to save them for small group time because all I'm doing is I'm stirring it up so that we can have a blast in small group time. Okay, so your questions can hopefully be answered there. We'll have our open Bibles and we'll see where we'll go from there, okay? But nonetheless, those are just a couple of facts about the demons and the demon world. So we come to point one. Point one in our text tonight, meet the Gadarenes. Verse 28, meet the Gadarenes. Here are two men, if you have your Bibles open, Matthew 8, 28, here are two men from a small town called Gadara. Now, Gadara is a lakeside city on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's one of the ten cities of the Decapolis. It is primarily a Gentile city. How do we know this? Well, because pigs are being raised nearby and no Old Covenant Israelite would ever be so closely associated with that unclean animal, Leviticus 11. And so Jesus and his disciples come to the shore of this little lake town and the language of this verse has it, it that these two men being possessed by demons inhabited 
by demons in their bodies. They caught wind that Jesus had arrived in their territory, on their land, in their part of town. And the text says, you see that in verse 28? They were coming out of the tombs. Now, tombs in the first century were basically caves carved out of, out of rock. The, the main um, rock and, 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 and stonage around there in, in Israel is limestone. It's soft enough to be for, for, for caves and tombs to be created. And they're on hillsides or even in the ground as Lazarus' tomb probably was. And so in tombs is where you would find travelers or the poor finding shelter from time to time. Kind of like today, how you might see people finding shelter and making a little temporary home under the bridges as you pass by the bridges in these cities. And the truth is here, we don't know precisely who these men were, right? We don't know what they looked like, if they had a wife and children, if they had jobs. Um, we don't know their hobbies. But, but one thing is certain is this. They are men, so that means they're created in the image of God. And because we live in a Genesis chapter 3 world, we know that they are sinners in need of a Savior just like you and I. And so here we find these two Gadarenes being controlled by demons, coming to meet Jesus, not for a cup of coffee, not to say hi, not to come and worship. And here is their description. You see it? What does the text say? It says they were extremely violent. How, how violent? How violent? So violent, our text says, that no one in the city would dare pass by them. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? I don't know if you have. If you're walking through a dark area or a dark alley and you hear a weird noises or a screaming or something, you're kind of like, I think I'll go the other way. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've, I've, I've been there, yeah. I was just going to say that. That's right. Um, we, we were at the conference. We were at a conference last weekend. That's why we weren't here last Wednesday night. And walking by, um, we were walking by a, a gentleman, and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't being violent. He wasn't being loud, but he was being sort of, sort of mean and forceful. I'm not saying that he was demon-possessed. He was just a normal guy, and he wasn't getting what he wanted out of us. And just, the, just him making eye contact with us and sort of coming after us and sort of following us, that was one guy against six, and there were six of us, and we were like, get out of here. And, and that's just a normal, a normal guy. Look at what the text says. Yeah. Oh, Alejandro was our bodyguard. He had a club. He, he, oh, sorry. There was a little bravery there, but you, you were a little scared, weren't you? Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Point proven. We need to go on. Okay. <laughs> so our text says no one would pass by that area. Luke, the gospel of Luke says it was so violent that one of them in their calm times had to be bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard but he would even break the chains with such demonic powers. Now, the Gospel of Mark on this same account says one of them would be screaming among the tombs. 
gnashing and cutting himself with stones. And Mark 5 verse 4 says, no one was strong enough to subdue him, to hold him down. Why so strong? Why so fierce? Well, as Mark and Luke record, one of the men said his name was what? Say it louder. Legion. Jesus asked him what his name. He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Do you know what a legion is? What's a legion? A bunch of people. How many? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know, but it's a big, it's a, like, a large group of Roman soldiers. Yes, exactly. It's a large group of soldiers. Legion is a Roman military unit of 6,000 military men. So try to imagine the strength of not six strong men, not even 600 strong men, but 6,000 strong men in one body. Uh, Goliath? Samson? What are they? Nothing compared to this. This man was controlled by an extremely large number of militant evil spirits. No wonder no one would pass by him through town. And so in our passage tonight, why did they come out? Why did these gatherings come out? What, what were they? And th this is the shrieking sound. It's a scream at the top of their lungs. I mean, you think you guys scream at, a, at an exciting sporting event or something. That's whispers compared to what these men were doing. Why? Why were they screaming aloud at the top, top of their lungs, coming near to Jesus while the disciples, I'm sure, were standing at a distance? That brings us to point two. We need to meet the Son of God. We need to meet the Son of God, verse 29. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, just on this verse, okay, I want to give, I want to show you four observations. First of all, can you see in this verse that the demons know who Jesus is? They know who Jesus is because they say he's what? He's the son of God. He is the son of God. They know he is the deity. They know he is God. Number two, we see in this verse, they knew he was coming to accomplish something. Just by the words where they use what business or what work do you have here with us? They know he's coming to get something done. Jesus is always on a mission. Number three, we see in this verse, they know his power and holiness. Just even by the words they mention, torment. Have you come to torment us? By the way, only God can torment demons. And last observation, number four, they know their end. By the phrase, if you come to torment us before the time, that is the day of judgment. That is eternal judgment. So these demons who for a time in heaven, once, think of it, <laughs> They, at one point in eternity past, they once served and worshiped the Lord and who were created, the, the ones who were very created by him 
And they now hate him and are basically saying here, go away from us to the very face of the eternal son of God. Now, is the son of God our creator? Is the son of God our creator? Yes. Yeah, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. He's created all things, sustains all things by the word of his power. Is he savior? Is the Son of God Savior? Is He the Prince of Peace? Yes. Is He Redeemer? Yes. Is He Wonderful, Merciful Counselor? Yes. Is He also Judge and Ruler? That's right. And Satan and all fallen angels know that this is their end, to be righteously judged by King Jesus for their rebellion and to be bound in hell forever. Therefore, the devil's strongest desire is to have nothing to do with Christ as ruler. And so being in his presence on earth now, in the flesh now, is torment for them as they are on this sea bank, the seashore of the lake. They cannot stand the Son of God. They cannot stand his righteousness the one who gave them their very existence, it is torture to be near God for them. So in verse 29, here the demons are basically saying through the mouths of men which they have inhabited, before judgment day, are you going to make our existence even worse? They can't stand being in the presence of the holy God of the universe. So that, I wanted to stop here for a moment with a question in light of such truth. Are you like the demons? Dog, not a demon. I didn't say you were. I said, are you like them? Do you know that there is a day of judgment, that it is to come and yet you deny it by your lifestyle? Is it a tormenting thing for you to open the word of God? or to be with Christians, or to be in the presence of a holy God? Like the demons here, do you know so much of Jesus Christ, but really deep down don't really want anything to do with him? MacArthur says, it is one thing to know the truth, it's another thing to love it. So we've met the Gadarenes, we've met the Son of God, and now the scene of what's happening here in this narrative opens up to us as Matthew moves the camera lens over to the swine. Which brings us to point three. Meet the pigs and the power of God. Verses 30 to 32. Now, real briefly here, Mark, in another gospel account, he tells us that there were some 2,000 pigs nearby eating their dinner at this time. <laughs> I mean, what a scene. Uh, listen, I've seen about a half dozen. I've seen a dozen eating. How many of us have seen 2,000 pigs feasting at once? What a scene. What, you have? Yeah, on YouTube. Oh, on YouTube, okay, <laughs> yes. I've seen my brother eating. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there, repent and move forward, okay? Now, this is crazy, right? I mean, 
Come on, guys, this is a true historical account. This is not some made-up story. This actually happened. And remember, the demons know the power of the Son of God. They know he has the instant ability to, to even cast them into the underground prison called the abyss. In fact, Luke 8 on this account tells us that these demons begged Jesus not to send them there to the underworld. And that is mentioned several times in the book of Revelation. And so here we find these demons asking for permission to be sent into the pigs. Remember, let's save questions for, for a small group. Aww. I can say that because I because that was my that was, I can only say that because I was my daughter. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying it to you too. Save it for afterwards. Write it down. I have a good question. A good save it for afterwards. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's part of yes. Part of what small groups is for to answer the questions I can't. Okay. So this is bizarre. This is even a picture, really, if you think about it, of how evil men prefer swine instead of the Savior. Because the truth is, sinful mankind who loves his sin doesn't need to be demon-possessed in order to hate the Savior. And it's as though the demons knew the compassion of Jesus to rescue this Gadarene man from them. It's as though they knew Jesus was going to save him and they could do nothing about it knowing he's the Holy One. He's the Almighty One. They know what's coming. Jesus' salvation of these men. So they request the pigs. Send us to the pigs. And so what happens? In our text, we see it. Jesus with a word. Now, Jesus often does this in the gospel. Just a word. Just a sentence. Just with a word. Listen, not a couple minutes ago, maybe an hour ago, they were crossing the Galilean Sea with a raging storm you and I wouldn't dare want to be in for one second. And what did Jesus say? Peace be still. And the sea was as glass. And the wind stopped. Uh, Jairus' daughter, which is going to take place soon. Talitha Kum, my little, little girl, arrives. She was dead. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus, with the word, sends them into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. Now, the truth is, pigs are very good swimmers. But this is the first time these pigs have been taken over by a legion of shrieking demons. And so here again is the power and the authority and you could sort of say, yeah, humor of the Son of God. But here is the power and the authority of, of King Jesus. Satan and the whole demonic realm is subject to Jesus to instantly obey his word. Go. Go. We've met the Gadarenes, we've met the Son of God, the pigs and the power of God. And now point four, meet the people's reaction. Meet the people's reaction, verses 33 to 34. Now, if you think the craziness of these demoniacs, and, and by the way, I was tempted to act this out. I was tempted to foam at the mouth and, and, and be gashing myself and screaming as loud as possible, but I don't think that would be good. 
for a setting like this. But yeah, you can, you've got the picture. You guys have good imaginations. You can picture it. If you think that that was crazy, you know what's even crazier than the demoniacs and all that they did? The people's reaction. You think the demoniacs, what was happening to him was sad? What's more sad is the people's response. What did they do? They implored him, Jesus, to get out of their town. We have two groups of people here. We have the herdsmen and we have the town folk. The, her, the, the, the herdsmen and the townspeople. The herdsmen, they were frustrated and they were angry. <sighs> well, wouldn't you be if you owned all those pigs? That's all your money. That's food. That's your financial income. Lost. Gone. Food. Money. Gone. And the truth is, though, we can't compare the value of a herd of swine with the soul of a man. But it didn't matter to these people that these two men had been given back their lives, given back their reason, their sanity. All that mattered to them was that their pigs had perished, their money and their possessions. It's all they cared about. It's all that they saw. And that's really a heart check for us tonight. What they should have been doing was falling on their faces in worship and they should have been begging Jesus to stay and deliver them from all of their evil hearts, to heal them of their sin, sickness, and their disease of the whole city instead of kicking him out. They should have been welcoming him in. And so here, really, guys, is human selfishness at its worst. That's the herdsmen. What about the, what about the townspeople? What about these folks in, in the last verse of our text tonight? Implored him, get out. Go away. Really? What we could say of them is that they were frightened. Why? Because Mark chapter 5 and Luke 8 says, you know what it says in Luke chapter 8? It says that they were gripped with great fear. Just like when the disciples said, oh, who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. The disciples were more terrified of the calmness that had just happened because of Jesus' word than the storm that was about to kill them. The people were frightened. They've never seen such power. And not only power, the pity of Jesus. But they didn't care about that. All they wanted were their pigs back and Jesus out. And so, there is the end of Matthew chapter 8. Close your Bibles. What a sad ending to this story. But wait, there's more. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We need to finish this story. We need to finish this account as Mark and Luke have it. And we're going to hold ourselves to Mark's account in Mark chapter 5. We've got to finish this. And in Mark chapter 5, this brings us to something quite remarkable. Because dear precious souls tonight, who's listening to my voice, at this very moment, you should be asking, and maybe some of you have in the quietness of your heart, what about the Gadarenes? What about these men? 
Okay, we see what happened with the pigs and the town folks and everybody's leaving and they want Jesus out. What about these men? Mark chapter five here brings us to point five. Meet the mercy of Jesus. Meet the mercy of Jesus. And here is Mark five and we're picking up in just in verses 18 to 20. Here's the rest of the story. Mark 5, 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. That he might be with Jesus. Verse 19, look what Jesus says. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This man from the town of Gadara was begging Jesus, just wanting to be with him. Hey, can you see it? You see it? Jesus and his disciples are, are getting on the boat. You have the picture? He's just been healed. Pigs have just been perished. People are trying to get Jesus out of here. Jesus and the disciples are moving onto the boat. And he's, and he's healed. And he's in his right mind. And he sees him. And he goes over to him. Begging him, begging him, can I just be with you? Can I go with you? Wherever you're going, can I just go with you? But instead, you know what Jesus does? Jesus makes this man the very first missionary in all of history. Do your missionary reports, do your missionary studies. It'll all come back to here is the first century's first missionary. Instantly, Jesus said, go, go home to your people and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. What's mercy? Mercy is not receiving what a sinner deserves. This man, this no-name man, Oh, he doesn't just deserve to be demon-possessed all of his life. He, just like you and I, deserve hell and death. That's what we deserve. That's what he deserves. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in what? Mercy. Mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. So, after receiving such mercy and the command of Jesus to go and spread the good news of such an unfathomable transformation, what does this man do? You know what this man does? Check it out. He obeys. He obeys. He goes to proclaim Jesus Christ and his mercy to his people. Oh, and not just his little town, because Mark 
And Luke, in Luke chapter 8, says it wasn't just his town. He went to the whole Decapolis. And if you look at that, there's a map somewhere in your Bible, the Decapolis, the 10 cities, he was going everywhere in the then known world to tell of the mercy of the Lord. He reports to his people the great things which the Son of God has done for him. And the people were amazed, to say the least. Some were amazed as unbelievers. Whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. He was once demon-possessed. Crazy man. Broke the chains, lived in the tombs. Naked, gashing himself. Stronger than 6,000 military men. But some were amazed unto salvation to believe in the God of Israel, the Messiah, the promised one who came to seek and to save the lost. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I am very thankful. I'm very thankful for Mark and Luke's account of this event in seeing the once demon-possessed, transformed life. And as we begin to wrap up our time tonight, you might be saying, okay, well, I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not screaming at the top of my lungs, gashing myself with sharp objects, or living out in the wilderness somewhere. You might be saying to yourself, sitting back and saying, I feel good, I'm healthy. Everybody loves me at school and wants to be around me. In fact, I do a lot of good things. I obey my parents, I do this, I do that. So the devil and his demons don't have a hold on my life. And I would say, great, but not so fast. Has your mind ever strayed away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ to maybe for a second believe someone or something else, but even for a moment, then guess what? That's the devil's lies communicating to you. Because 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, do you know that the apostle Paul, he only said that he was afraid of one thing in all that he wrote. He was afraid of one thing. You know what he was afraid of? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, so too you, Corinthians, are being deceived by a lie. Have you ever had bitter jealousy in your heart? Or have you ever been selfish <laughs> or lied against the truth? Guess what? You know what James chapter 3, verse 15 says about that? He says that that way of thinking, that wisdom of the world is evil, and he actually uses the very word demonic. Have you ever loved yourself above God and others? Guess what that is? That's devilish. That's Matthew chapter 4. What did, what did Satan try to get Jesus to do? to bow down and worship him. What kind of guts does that take? Think of it. You and I, according to James 3, 2 Corinthians 11, and 1 John, we're guilty 
of tampering with demonic things. Question, do you love all that is in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? Then the love of the Father is not in you, but rather the father of lies. The devil is your father, according to John 8, 44, if you believe those lies. So tonight, if you are in Christ, what are you to do? You are to acknowledge your sin and you're dabbling in the lies of Satan because that's what sin is. He's the king of sin. He's the ruler. He's, 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 he's the one. You confess your sin and dabbling in the lies of Satan and being held captive in his chains. Confess, forsake, run, flee, escape to Christ and know that he will receive you. He will not turn away a broken heart. Proverbs 28, 13, listen carefully. He who conceals his transgression, and that's what Satan wants you to do. Keep it hidden. Keep it concealed. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. No, be sure of this, Numbers 32 says, your sin will find you out. But God in his grace and his mercy in Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgression, you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, you will find compassion. Compassion of the Lord. Listen, dear students tonight, he is eager to forgive and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness and believe in, believing demonic lies. He is eager to rescue you from the domain of darkness and to transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, if you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, guess what? You have been transformed. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have been declared righteous. Satan and his adversaries have nothing against you at all. They come accusing you before, the, before God and they say, look at what this youth group at North Lake Bible Church, look at how they live. God, look at, and you know what he says? He says, they're redeemed. They're covered by the blood of my son. They are righteous. You have been adopted. <laughs> you are safe in his arms, dear students. You can't be inhabited by demons if you are in Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Both cannot be there at once. 1 Corinthians 6, Romans 8, Galatians 2. And remember this, Satan and all the de demons, they are all defeated foes. Christ at the cross, it is finished. The head of the serpent, crushed. The deceiver, crushed. Now, you say, well, yeah, but he's still doing things today. In the day. Yeah, it's like, it's like a slayed dragon with his tail still wagging with those last nerves. And he's trying his best. Colossians 2.15, Jesus, by his death on the cross, triumphed over the entire supernatural demonic realm and world to save his children and to pay for his sins. To pay for your sins. To pay for my sins. What a comfort, right? What a comfort. The demon of all demons, listen, cannot snatch you out of your father's hand. John 10, 27, Jesus says. <laughs> and according to Romans 8, 38, even if all the myriads and hosts of fallen wicked angels came after you tonight, they could not separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. That's how strong, that's how powerful, that's how loving and awesome the God of the Bible is. So, what do we take away from such a passage tonight? What's our application tonight? Just three quick things. Number one, don't joke about Satan and demons. I know it's Halloween time. I know a lot of people do it in innocence, and that, that's fine. Little Luke put the masks on, and that's that. Okay, cool. But don't joke about it. You know why? Because it's real. It's real. The movies, that's all child's play. Even the worst horror film. Satan and demons probably laugh at that. Because why? Most of the time he comes as an angel of light. Deception. So don't joke about it. Don't don't let your silliness turn into the point of sin and foolishness. Number two, what do we do then? You know what James 4, 7 says? It's this simple, ready? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Take your stand against him and he will flee from you. How do you do that? James 4 says you have to be submitting yourself to God, drawing near to him. How? By prayer in the word, prayer in the word, prayer in the word. And in doing that, guess what you'll, guess what you'll be doing if you're doing that? You'll be putting on the full armor of God, Right? You'll be able to quench those fiery darts and missiles that come at you with the shield of faith as you stand firm in the truth. Resist him and he will flee from you. Don't, don't try to do what so many do. Today you'll hear preachers and stuff doing this like, I rebuke you in the, in the name of Jesus or I bind you, Satan. So if you bound Satan by your word, then where do you go after you? How do you get unbound? We don't have that power. Even Michael, the archangel in Jude, verse 8, he said, he, did, he didn't rebuke Satan and the demons. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Even the mightiest holy angel, Michael, the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. So don't mess around with that. Resist the devil. Submit yourself to the Lord and he will flee from you. And number three, number three, just in light of our text tonight, we need to be doing what? what the Gadarean did. We need to be speaking the great things Christ has done for you. Speak the great things which Christ has done for you. You're a new creation now. The old things have passed away. New things have come. You're a new creation. Listen, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is there to be ashamed of? Speak the great things of Christ that he has done for you. Don't fear man. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, he saved your soul, not just from demons, but from the eternal wrath of God that we deserve, having broken his law. So tell others, tell neighborhood friends, tell schoolmates, tell family of the mercy that he has had on you. I want to ask you tonight, listen, is it hard for you to speak of the mercy of God to others? Is it hard for you? As each passing day goes and we grow in Christ, it should be getting actually easier and easier because we're drawing near to him. Tell others of the mercy that he has had on you. Proclaim the power, the pity, and the love that he has had towards 
you and know the joy that that brings when you obey the Lord, when he says, go and tell, and you go and tell that you've been transformed and that you've been saved out of darkness into light. You once thought this way. You once talked this way. You once acted this way. You once did this deed. This was once your life, but now this is your life. You're a new creation in Christ. And it's nothing because of what you've done and your smarts and your intellect. It's because of God's mercy. So go and tell. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power you've shown us in your son and the pity and mercy you've shown us in your death and resurrection for the saving of our souls. Lord, thank you for this text tonight. May it do its work in our lives. Thank you for these dear students. May they, may we together submit ourselves to you and draw near to you, resist the devil and know that he will flee from us because of who you are and what you've done for us. You're our shield, you're our fortress and our defender against our adversary. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.